0: Hi everyone, this is Dr. Cheryl Sillman and welcome to The Love Code. Thank you for joining me for another wonderful, inspiring conversation that really is designed to uplift, to transform, to take you on a journey, to open your heart, and to really remind you of the infinite possibilities that exist within you. It's always so inspiring and uplifting for me to have these conversations because I get to feel so much better after I have these wonderful interviews and get to be reminded of the power that we have within ourselves. So I'm sure we will have another wonderful show that will leave you with a glow <laughs> and and a you know new awareness, new resources to take you through the rest of your life actually. If you are listening for the very first time, I want to welcome you. It's great having you here on the Love Code. If you'd like to get the archived shows, if you can't listen live, then there are two ways to do that. You can either go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know. And What Women Must Know is the name of the other program that I have on Progressive Radio Network. It's a podcast that's every Thursday at 4 p.m. called What Women Must Know, and that's all about health and well-being. And the other option is just to go to my website, which is drsherylselman.com, and opt in there. So I will be able to then send all these shows out, and I have all sorts of other great information that I send out as well. So either like me at What Women Must Know or just stop in and go to Dr. Cheryl Selman and join my community. I'd love to have you. And I'm so excited to have my guest today on The Love Code. We're going to be talking to Dr. Norman Rosenthal, and we're going to be exploring poetry. And Dr. Rosenthal has just released his latest book called Poetry Rx, which is such an interesting book, and we'll get into it in a minute. But I, first of all, just want to take a moment to introduce you to Dr. Norman Rosenthal. He is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown Medical School and was the psychiatrist who first described seasonal affective disorder and pioneered the use of light in its treatment during his 20 years at the National Institute of Mental Health. He has researched other innovative psychiatric treatments and is the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Transcendence, Healing and Transformation Through Transcendental Meditation, and the national bestseller, Supermind. He is currently uh, and has maintained a private practice, private clinical and coaching practice in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C., his work has earned him national and international attention in the world of psychiatry and psychology as well as in the media. So we're in for such a treat, and let me welcome Dr. Rosenthal to the show. So, Dr. Rosenthal, hello and welcome to the Love Code.
1: Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, I am thrilled to have you as my guest today. You are doing such interesting things and obviously a really interesting person. <laughs> and, uh, I, I know we have lots to go through and to inspire and uplift my community today. I'd like to begin our conversation with your journey. You, you just don't seem to be your average run-of-the-mill psychiatrist, <laughs> Dr. Rosenthal. And, um, I'm just curious as to how your personal journey unfolded to arrive at this, um, you know, this this place where you are talking about um, meditation and you're, you know, understanding the power of light. How did this unfold for you?
1: Well, I think since we are talking about poetry, it's fair enough to quote Robert Frost that I like to take the world, the road less traveled by. Uh, I like to go through unexplored, unexpected places, uh, and that's where I think more interesting things happen. So even though I've done all the ordinary things that you would expect somebody to do, to become a psychiatrist, namely become an MD, and do all your regular medical things, learn about medications, do your organic chemistry. Uh, Obviously, I always feel you have to do your basic stuff before you can go traipsing off into some unexpected place. Nonetheless, those are the places that have intrigued me most. So a lot of the things that you've just mentioned uh, are things that fascinated me, and I always found they worked out very well for me because I would find myself in new territory, interesting territory, and able to help people. In new novel ways
0: you know as a uh, medically trained doctor and psychiatrist um, what was there an event was there a a situation that happened that um, moved you in this unexpected direction that had to do with the role of meditation as a tool for healing and um, and personal transformation. Was there Was there a, something that happened in your experience or just through an introduction? Because that seems to be such a different path than the traditional medical model that you were trained in. Well, two
1: sources of influence came about. The one was listening to patients when they said unusual things and I think one problem that a lot of doctors face is that we're learning so much. We've got such a vast canon of accepted knowledge that we feel it's like a big box, and everything that's useful is in that box. But often there are things that are outside that box, and that those things are very important as well. So I think I've always been open to the possibility that there are things that haven't been described yet that haven't been emphasized yet and open to hearing about them. If I'm looking at a painting in an art gallery, I will always be looking into the corners of the painting, not just the central figures, but what's there? The a little angel in the corner or the little devil down there in the other corner. And that's just how I am, I guess. And, uh, for example, with the seasonal affective disorder, um, we encountered at the National Institute of Mental Health a patient who had very marked seasonal changes, and then I thought, "Wow, you know i've got seasonal changes as well, and I didn't notice them in South Africa what's changed what's different? Well, the length of the day is one thing that changed, and so these are the little pebbles in the in the forest that you follow that take you into new areas that have been so interesting and the same can be said for meditation a patient said to me you know your medicines are helping me but what's really making me happy so much of the time is transcendental meditation and likewise with this poetry book i had an event with a friend who called me over the phone and was suffering from the loss of a loved one and discussing a poem seemed to elevate his mood. So I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And so I don't let it go. I've, I've never regretted listening to someone with a strange story. I've only regretted not always listening well enough. I love what you just shared. I, I think that is the key
0: to having a really creative and exciting a life because it's so easy to get caught into doldrums and just stay in old patterns and behaviors. And you're really, you know, speaking to me, it's like music to my ears because I really follow that same philosophy, Dr. Rosenthal. I'm fascinated by the, the new, the unknown, you know, having that curiosity and an open mind because out there, there are experiences and there are possibilities that we haven't even dreamt of, right? And so we have to, well, uh, for me, I'll just say, that I, I, I really need to keep that uh, curiosity and sense of adventure alive. And amazing things do happen when you operate from that perception of reality and the courage
1: to step outside of the known into the unknown. It's really true. Amazing things do happen, and it's much more fun than always with a beaten track.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I've gotten into very off-beaten tracks, <laughs> but it's uh, still here. <laughs> and, I mean, you've got some good stories to share, right? Uh, so let's talk about poetry. I-, I have to be honest. I, you know, there's only one poem that I know a few lines of, <laughs> and that's it. I don't ever remember going to school and being trained into poems you know there are some people when they're in their primary school years and they have to learn a poem it sticks with them for the rest of their lives and uh, I'm not one of those people <laughs> so poetry is an interesting area but I never really have given it much thought and I'm so I grateful that you wrote this book and in your book Poetry Rx you list these 50 key you know profound poems that make a difference in how we view life because I'm going to go through those poems and use them for my own healing and rejuvenation and you know pleasure actually so so let's talk a bit about poems I'm I'm curious to know When we are reading a poem or when we're sitting down to write a poem, are we accessing a different part of our brain than in normal conscious waking life?
1: Well, there is some data that shows that when we listen to certain poems, it causes goosebumps, it causes chills, and the reward circuitry of our brain is activated. So there is a certain very visceral experience when you read a poem as I say in my introduction which tells people how to think about a poem that it it isn't only a a sort of intellectual experience you feel it you feel it with your body it's as much it's as much as a much as visceral experience as having a scoop of ice cream or hearing a wonderful song when you're out and there's a cool breeze blowing off the ocean It's a visceral experience, but I think that a lot of people say just what you have said, and I think people don't learn poetry in uh, a way that makes it fun and interesting. And the point of my book, one of them, has been to make poetry accessible and to show how much we can get even out of a single poem. So maybe one thing we could do is to even look at a... One poem or another poem, and and just see what am I getting here? What am I? How does this? How does this strike me? How does this occur to me? What is? What? I, what am I feeling when I hear the poem?
0: Well, I'd love to do that before we before we go and venture into the world of poetry. Um, what what happened to you when you because you didn't have a, necessarily a poetry appreciation background before. You were introduced to this through through a friend. What was that experience for you as you entered into this world of poetry? Uh, what was the experience
1: that you had? Well, you know, I didn't have any, you know, in South Africa, we go straight to medical school from high school. So after high school, I had no formal training in literature or poetry. What I brought to it before this project was just the love for poems, and they had actually helped me a lot at different times in my life. Um, When I left South Africa and I left family behind, there was a poem uh, called Letter to My Mother, which was very comforting to me because I realized that I was sort of abandoning my family, that they had been gracious enough to send me off without making me feel guilty. But nevertheless, I did feel a little guilty because I was leaving them behind. And this poem just sort of spoke to me in that way. And so part of my excitement is to share with people and get them as interested as I am. I had a lovely experience recently um, talking with the... New York Times journalist Jane Brody, who's been writing her personal health column for many years now. It's a wonderful column. I often read it. She's incredibly gifted and knowledgeable in many areas. And when I first approached her that I was writing this book, she said, I don't like poetry. It doesn't speak to me. And bit by bit, because she was open-minded, she Became open to the possibility and then wrote a very beautiful column on the subject. So, the idea that somebody might come with a closed mind or a negative view and somehow be turned around is very exciting to me. You know, somehow that they might get it, you know?
0: What happened in that conversation that turned her around? And
1: well, was, it wasn't uh, a, a conversation. Was a series of, conversation, of conversations. I said, "Well, listen, would you could I send you the PDF? I didn't have a book yet." She said, "Well, I don't like PDFs. This can wait." And then she went onto the web and saw that April is National Poetry uh, the National Poetry Month in the United States, and she remembered Amanda Gorman's poem at the recent inauguration of President Biden and she called an old friend a woman who's 94 years old who said of course I love poetry who said to her but you know I if people say how can you enjoy poetry I say don't you enjoy the lyrics of a song they're just poems and then Jane realized her husband had been a lyricist and she had loved his lyrics and so she opened her mind bit by bit by bit. So I get this email saying, change of plans, are you available tomorrow to talk to me? Now, I only had my lunch hour, but there was no lunch on that day because I was not going to miss that opportunity. And so she reorganized her thinking. And for this veteran journalist to be so open-minded and so willing to listen was really a stunning example of how I want to be and how I think it's wonderful to be, to be open to new possibilities. So what I would ask your listeners to do is to just be open that everything they thought poetry was or hated about poetry, it may all just be because they haven't been shown how to enjoy a poem and how to get the most out of it.
0: And we're going to go into that in a moment, but I, I have to say, do you do you think that in this Jane Brody story, you, you set an intention. I mean, you obviously have a spiritual um, connection, and that's a part of your who you are. And I am sure that the path that you're led down, such as the one with poetry, is part of this journey that you are on and sharing with others of healing. You know, healing self, healing others, and out of that intention and out of that desire to share this healing, you you know you set things in motion. And the fact that Jane Brody, who was so resistant to what you were offering her, had these kind of you know synchronistic events occur that led her back to you seems to me this is just part of the power that is some setting intentions and uh, being on this path and this passion that you have uh, as things unfold, as a result. Does, does you know, that make, thank, this thank resonate you.
1: with you? Yeah, thank you for saying that. I do feel that that is correct. And I know I had an awful lot of trouble uh, getting this book published, Um People just sort of turned away. Publishers where I had written bestsellers before were uninterested. Nobody will want it. Nobody will buy it. And um, I just had this feeling inside me that this was just burning to get out. I've held it for years, but I haven't had the wherewithal to write it until now i had to have i had to go through some steps of experience and thinking and development before I could write this book, but it does seem it sounds really wacko i'm so i'm sorry advanced trigger not warning. on this show <laughs> your
0: you're, <laughs> territory here <laughs> it feels
1: like it feels like there's kind of a magic in this book. Because there was Mm -hmm. a magic in me when I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. people have gotten turned around, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to say, see what I've done with each of these 50 poems. I've put out the poem so that you can see it with a beginner's mind, without preconception, with fresh eyes. Then I've told you a little bit what I see the poem saying. And I haven't got a lock on the truth. It's just what I hear the poet saying in this particular poem. Then I give you some concrete takeaways. What can you take out of this poem that might be useful in your own life? And then I talk a little bit about the poet and how this particular poet, with her or his bio, maps to this poem. How the poem comes out authentically from the life and mind of this poet. And I would say that in the same way This book has come out authentically from who I am as a healer, as a therapist, as a human being, and as somebody who loves poetry.
0: That's beautiful. I I think as we're talking about the subject of poetry, which I haven't really thought much about, as I said, but as we are exploring this, to me, the place where poetry comes from it's the same place where all creative expressions come from, whether you are visual artist, whether you're a musician, whether you're a dancer It's a place that you get downloaded this this impulse right, and it expresses in whatever way your particular talents or predispositions are that channel something that is beyond the less brain, rational mind, right? We can call it, you know, coming from source, coming from the creator, coming from the divine. But because we we are creative beings, the nature of who we are is creativity. We're creating our lives. And we are channeling this kind of expression that is bringing forth something that's touching us in some unique way, not not so much from the intellect, but more from the heart. And I I don't know, those are some thoughts that are just, you know, coming through well, me. You know, I, I agree. I think that
1: are. Yeah, I think that there are chambers in the mind, places in the mind that can't be accessed just because you want to. I can't just say, open, all well, I'll open up this, you know, when you're dealing with ordinary things like I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy myself a new piece of furniture or a new jacket or something, those are very consciously mapped out intentions. But when you say, you know, poetry has always appealed to me and I know somewhere inside me there's a book about that and somehow I can communicate this passion or this uh, you know, conviction to um, my readers, I can't go and intentionally put together a chain of actions that are going to just get me there. I'm going to have to let these chambers of my mind, the hidden chambers, accessed, opened up to this kind of discovery. I've got to discover for myself what I already know to be true. And I find meditation to be an amazing way to do that because I'll go and I'll meditate and somehow answers will come to me. That's a little bit like what you're saying. These answers come to me. I don't muscle them out of me. I let them come to me. Right.
0: Yes, yes. You know, and and those that are really inspired through poetry find that the words come through them. So let's talk about poetry. Let's, Let's talk about how to appreciate poetry, how we can use poetry in our lives, and especially for those of us who may not have given much thought to poetry? How can it be a healing tool on our journey at this time?
1: Well, may may I read a short poem? And then out of that short poem will emerge an answer to your question. I'll read to you Love After Love by Derek Walcott. Caribbean poet, uh, Nobel Prize winner. But look how simple it is. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, Sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart. To itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored, for another who knows you by heart, take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photograph, the desperate notes, peel your own image from the mirror, sit, feast on your life.
0: Wow, that gives me shivers, actually.
1: There you are, the Shivers. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. These shivers have actually mm-hmm. been documented, but isn't, isn't that wonderful? Did, I can't tell you. When you told me you got shivers, I got shivers. Because it means mm-hmm. that between us, there was that special connection that came through mm-hmm. appreciating the beauty and brilliance of this very short poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think
0: poetry is best read out loud?
1: it it really is yes it is because that way you know that's it's the oldest form of literature and people did read it out loud even the long poems like the odyssey and the iliad um and we're not talking about that here because you know let's start let's start small um and but small is not trivial small is wonderful mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. yes the, the sound of the word even the English translation of the Odyssey, and the and rosy fingered dawn came once more, and then, this then they sunk into the wine. The sun sunk into the wine dark sea. You know, just those few expressions from that great epic, uh, the sound of the sun sinking into the wine dark sea. Um, it's just so powerful, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you use your uh, in your practice? Do you use your favorite poems or,
1: or well?
0: Or let me put poem. it to this
1: way: I use a poem that is suitable to the occasion. So let's say I've got a couple, mm-hmm. and they are furious at each other, and um, she says, "You know." He comes home late and he doesn't give enough attention to me and the family and he's here and he's there and and he says, look, I bring home the money and I'm making a living and if I didn't make a living, the kids wouldn't be able to go to summer camp. And then they turn to me like, who's right and who's wrong here? And I say, you know, I'm not a judge. I'm not here to decide your squabble and who's right and who's wrong. Um, Let's look at it from another point of view. Um, May I read a poem? It's very short, so they kind of look a little astonished. Okay, go ahead. So I read this very short poem by Rumi, 13th century Persian poet. So you, you say, you've got to be kidding. A 13th century Persian poet is going to come in and be helpful to this modern couple squabbling over the ordinary practicalities of daily life. But so well, give me a break. Let us let's, let's let's just give it a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grasp, the world is too full to talk about ideas, language and even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. And they'll be quiet, and they'll say, well, what do you think of that poem? What do you think of that poem? And it introduces another voice into the conversation, a voice that's hundreds of years old, with a brilliance that stood the test of time, and a very simple image that Beyond wrongdoing and right doing, we're going to put aside right and wrong and we're going to go to a field and we're not going to stand facing each other in a hostile position. We're going to lie down together in the grass and I'll make the first move. I'll meet you there, which in modern couple work is called a repair attempt. Somebody makes the first gesture to do something nice. And then it says, you know, we were lying down in the grass. You know, we've lain down in fields and seen the clouds moving overhead and stuff like that. We don't really feel like squabbling anymore. Maybe we feel like, wait a sec, why did we marry each other in the first place? What made us fall in love? What was it about her or him that was attracting me in the first place? It changes the whole focus. But it does so in a very intentional way. It's there to say, how can we reconcile our differences not how can we prosecute our battle here
0: that's beautiful because yeah, as a as a uh, psychotherapist myself it's like in order to take people to another place where possibilities exist to have a different perspective to be able to resolve things in new ways, you have to shift a perspective. You can't stay on the level of that argument. You have to do something that is going to open up other possibilities. It could be, you know, it could be some technique. It could be a um, uh, a poem. It, it could be a breathing session. It could be meditation, right? just something that shifts the person's energy from that egoistic, angry, shut down place to be more open. And it sounds like you have found another tool to use to guide people to the field of all possibilities.
1: Well, what I love, so I love a lot of things <laughs> that you say, but <laughs> one thing I seize upon is the expression, another tool because Somebody was asking me earlier today, you know, the pandemic has left us with so much loss and devastation and heartache and (laughs) horror, and you're saying that poetry is going to fix this? No, I'm not saying that. It's another tool, as you put it. As you know, we try and find as many tools as possible to help people in trouble, because it's often not simple. It's often got many components to it. So any aspect that brings something new to the table is always welcome in my experience. How about you?
0: Well, I think that is the most important thing is to be resourceful. I've talked to many people during this last year, year and a half, who have chosen to use this time to learn new things, to explore new ways to open up possibilities, whether it's with work or with family or their own healing journey that, you know, has become very useful for them. And then there are other people who have, you know, just sat in front of their TV and eaten their Fritos and complained. So it's, it's always fascinating how each person is choosing to deal with the situation. And, uh, you know, whether we're going to make the most and find a gift in it or whether we're going to sit there and feel like a victim. So we have those choices all the time.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't say it any better. You have just really nailed it because I know that for me, the pandemic was an opportunity to write a book that I've wanted to write for many years. And without the distractions that come with being able to go to restaurants with friends or travel places, it facilitated my being able to write it. So I'm grateful for that. But I'm also mindful that it didn't deal with everybody equally. Some people suffered much more and some people didn't have the opportunities to maybe do the things that you and I perhaps did. So, But I think it's always good to think about it and I saw resourceful people doing watercolor classes or voice training classes, uh, a myriad things that enriched their lives while this plague was going on. And in fact, if you think of it, Boccaccio's Decameron or Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, I think both of them were written during a plague where people had to entertain one another uh, by sharing stories
0: how interesting. <clears throat> tell us about the poems that you chose to include in your book?
1: Yes, um, Firstly, there were poems. they're all poems that I feel can make a difference in people's lives. Not all poems can do that, but these particular ones have got a special healing power. and so I looked firstly at poems that have healed me personally. Um, starting with a poem that was the one that my friend, uh, that we raised when my friend called me one night. This was how the book really got going. He called me one night and told me he'd lost somebody very dear to him. And he said, what can I do? How will I manage? And you know, I thought of all the clichés came to mind, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, or I'm sure things will get better, or time heals all wounds. Um, And because they're commonplace, they may not always have the potency that you would like to create if you can. So I thought of my friend, and I always think of the person I'm talking to. Um, For example, if I'm talking to a motor mechanic, I'll try and use imagery related to a car. Um, this guy was, um, is a very cultured man. So I said to him, you know, losing is an art, and like all arts, it can be developed. He said, oh, have you, do you know that poem? I said, well, what poem? He said, One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. I said, no, no, I never heard that poem. He said, let me read it to you. And I could almost imagine him pulling the book off the shelf and starting to read. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Some things seem filled with the intent to be lost. So their loss is no disaster, etc. etc. And it was riveting. It's a brilliantly constructed poem. It's, in a very, it's got a very musical effect that's created by having a very specific structure and rhyme scheme, but you don't have to know that to experience the musicality. And at the end of the poem, I could hear his voice lifting, his spirits rising, and so were mine. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting that a poem can make you feel happy, change your mood. And that was the first, and then I started looking for other poems that could do that and I found they were all over I had several that had that effect on me friends brought me their favorite poems I found some examples on the internet of people who felt that way and before I knew it I had quite a lot of poems and then I thought you know there's enough here to write a book how am I going to organize them and I was off and running Mm. Uh, Wow. Do you memorize poems? You know, I used to. I used to when I was very young. I think the Internet has made us a little lazy because we Mm -hmm. can get something so easily now we kind of don't have to memorize them. But I think memorizing poems when you're young is very good because those poems sit in your mind and you can retrieve them at will. One of the first poems, uh, adult poems I memorized, uh, was punishment given to me. I don't even remember what I was doing wrong, but the history teacher, whom I had offended for whatever reason, um, he was a very interesting, quirky, educated man, and he said, Memorize sonnet number 18 as a punishment for whatever it was I did. So... (laughs) I went and I looked at sonnet number 18. I'd never seen a sonnet. I didn't know anything about sonnets. And there it was. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's least hath all too short a date. I can recite the whole thing because when you're <laughs> at that age, your memory is much better than what it is right now. <laughs> and I didn't have exactly. the internet, but it fascinated me—the sound, the meaning. It's a—it's a very brilliant sonnet. And then I came to him and I said, "Oh, I've, I've memorized the sonnet. You want to hear it?" He said, "Oh, no, no, I'm not interested in hearing. <laughs> you, you did it, <laughs> you know." Which was great, you know. He—he he gave me a—he gave me a gift to to. Yeah. Said that as a son, and he didn't care whether I did it or not, which was so funny. Years later, I was traveling with friends through Europe, and we saw him in a in a pub in London. And he said, "Oh, oh, so nice to see you all." He was so friendly. <laughs> let me let me buy you a beer and some scotch eggs.
0: <laughs> 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 he was a character, and how ironic! <laughs>
1: I kind of ironic you would find him
0: <laughs> anyway. He was the character. Yeah. You know, but what a gift he gave you.
1: I mean, you yeah. you,
0: you have re, retained that very beautiful sonnet all these years. That's what, right. a, what a was, gift a great, in the form of punishment. It was
1: a huge gift. And here we are <laughs> 55 years later, and I'm telling mm. you about a punishment a history teacher gave me for something I don't even remember what it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, those, those, uh, moments and events that we don't realize have such an impact on us mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives. There is only a few lines from one poem that I have always, I don't know if I'm quoting it correctly, so I'll just state that up front, Dr. Rosenthal, but it goes something, it's by T.S. Eliot, and it goes something like this. So we'll, um, Oh oh wait. Let me see if I, something about all, from all i learning oh, now I have lost it. I must have stage fright or something. <laughs> but it's let me see if I can recall it. Oh, it's gone. But it's about um uh knowing something for the first time.
1: I can tell oh, you that yes. much. it's that that's uh, little Do you know getting, what I mean? That's little gidding. And um, it's a very wonderful, I've used it as epigraphs at the top of book chapters, We Shall Not Cease from Exploration. Ah, You want to continue it?
0: Yes. Yes, no, you do it. You do it so beautifully. We We shall not cease from exploration.
1: (laughs) But the end of our exploring will be to arrive at the beginning and know it for the first time. It's so profound. It is amazing. It's amazing. That's, that's little gidding. It's wonderful. And, you know, as a scientist, I, I researched rhythms, rhythms, biological rhythms, daily rhythms, and then, of course, seasonal rhythms, which were my big thing. And that little, little gidding is full of cyclicity. There you see a cycle. Mm-hmm. We shall not cease from exploration, but the end. Of our exploring will be to arrive at the beginning again and know it for the first time. You see a cycle that he's drawing there mm-hmm. you know we're exploring and then we're coming back almost like the earth rotating round the sun or the moon rotating round the earth um and um I'm sorry, it should be revolving, revolving round the earth but but in any in any uh, event. The cyclicity, the gorgeousness. I'm not surprised you learned that. uh, You you learned and loved that line. It's a beautiful line, little gidding.
0: Because it seems to express the journey of life. You know, we go Mm -hmm. through the stages of life. And as we grow and become more mature and have more experiences, we do see things in new ways that we didn't Mm -hmm. see before. Mm -hmm. And it is a cycle. Of, but it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a spiral to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. like spiraling into a greater uh, awareness uh, mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. get to know ourselves a bit more. It, and we're and that's that attitude, where right? We talked about that in the beginning to always be open to see mm-hmm. things from a new perspective because that's really how we heal. That's how we heal when we see things from new perspectives, mm-hmm. and new mm-hmm. points of view, and. And that comes from our journey through life. So true. Hmm. Can we talk a little bit about light? And uh, I'm kind of, I'm sure we can fold it back into this conversation (laughs) of poetry because it's so profound of light, you know, light that comes from, you know, lamps that, you know, Treatment, seasonal affective disorder, light that comes from the sun, light that comes from the divine.
1: Right. Well, yes, we can do all of the above, but let me start by reading this poem by Emily Dickinson. There's a certain slant of light, winter afternoon, that oppresses, like the heft of cathedral tunes heavenly hurt it gives us, we can find no scar but internal difference where the meanings are. None may teach it, any, tis the steel despair, an imperial affliction sent us of the air. When it comes, the landscape listens, shadows hold their breath, when it goes, tis like the distance on the look of death." That poem first came to my attention. We had advertised for people who had seasonal affective disorder, which hadn't yet been described. I got thousands of responses, letters at the time, because there was no Internet. And out of one letter, I opened it up. This poem had been typed, and it fell Mm. free fall out of the letter. And I read it, Mm. and it told me, Yes, there are people who feel like this on a winter afternoon, like the heft of cathedral tunes. They feel Mm -hmm. bad, and it's an imperial affliction. It's like us of the air. It comes from outside. And, you know, we can find no scar but internal difference where the meanings are. And that's what a lot of my psychiatric patients have said to me. I wish I had a broken arm, a broken leg. Somebody would hold the door open for me. Somebody would see that there is something really wrong with me. But when I've got a depression or an anxiety, I look like everybody else, and nobody can really see that I'm suffering, and nobody can see that I could really use a helping hand. So here you see the genius of a poet writing in the mid-1800s about an illness that's only going to be described over a century later. Um, And so you get all kind of merges together. The light is potent. The lack of light can cause depression. It can oppress. Artificial light can replace to some degree the missing sunlight. It can be a treatment. It's been researched. We started researching. Others picked it up. And now it's commonplace for people to be using this. It's like it always was there.
0: Uh, yeah, which is full-spectrum light,
1: what you're it's, it's bright. Point. It's bright light. It doesn't have to be full-spectrum. It's a box or a fixture that may sit on your desk or table. Um, often it's angled towards you. There are many fine purveyors of these light boxes now. You can get them online. The one thing I would say is don't get a teeny-weeny light because it's cheaper. Because firstly, it hasn't been researched. And secondly, it's more likely to be harmful to the eyes. So get yourself a good-sized light box. And um, I do have a book, Winter Blues, that tells people exactly how to use it. It's got 50 questions and answers on light therapy. That was my first book. So, um, and it's still in press and it's still useful. But uh, I love light. I love light. I love meditation. I love poetry. I'm privileged to have been able to write about the things that I love.
0: It, it's so interesting, rather ironic, isn't it, that that poem fell out of the weather?
1: It was a poem. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it was it was a, it was advertising for people who have trouble with the winter. So it wasn't a coincidence. But when right. it fell out, but it was a. Yeah, ahead. <laughs>
0: well, I was just saying like a precursor of, of a destiny for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it marked the path. And and I, I recognized that when it fell out of the envelope. I recognized, yeah, this this poet has nailed it. There's something here yeah. worth really studying. And for 20 years, I researched it at the NIH.
0: Right. So interesting. It's almost like you and Carl Jung have a lot in common, you know, with synchronicities and strange events happening that have played major roles in your life and in
1: your work. I think that's true. But I also think it's true what Louis Pasteur said, that chance favors the prepared mind. So I think Prepare for a miracle. Prepare for the unexpected gift that comes from an envelope or from wherever. Be ready to see it for the gift that it is. And
0: yeah, I mean and we never know quite how to prepare. We just have to live our life, right? And, and be do open the best
1: we can. Be open. Yeah. And be open. To something unexpected or that doesn't fit into your philosophy.
0: So going back to poetry, R. X. do you recommend that people read a poem a day? That you, And you have 50 poems that are your favorites. Is that something that is a, a good strategy in how to work well, with poetry and experience I, poetry? I would,
1: I would say enjoy it. If you feel like reading it all in one sitting, that's fine. If you feel like reading a poem a day to conserve it, one of my friends, who loves the book, says, I'm going to read a poem a day. She wants to kind of take it slow, take it as it comes, um, and that's great. I I just want people to enjoy the book and get some benefit from it.
0: Yeah, how beautiful. And before we go, can you tell us about your virtual book event that you're doing on May
1: 6th? Oh, thank to, you for uh, asking, what's... yes. Um yeah. On May 6th, the David Lynch Foundation is hosting a virtual book event. Um, It's 7 p.m., Thursday at 7 p.m., and people can find out more about it just by going to my website. That's normanrosenthal.com, and there will be a clear directive as to where you can find out about it. Um, Do enroll as soon as possible and tell your friends about it because, they will order books, politics and prose. The number they'll order depends on the number of people registering, and I don't want anybody to be disappointed. I have signed book plates that they will stick in the book, so the book will come to you signed, uh, and uh, it's a wonderful bookstore, and you know, right now we want to support our independent bookstores because... Uh, I remember times where you could find them all over and walk in and browse around. It would be just such a fun thing to do. And now, of course, they have been gobbled up by the online enterprises. So uh, they will be uh, selling the books and the any profits that I work would, would come my way are going to go to helping uh, wounded veterans uh, to learn transcendental meditation. So I'm not getting any profits from it but the profit that i'm getting from it is just the joy of getting these books into people's hands to enjoy and feel better from
0: what a wonderful creative idea to do this virtual book event that's happening on may 6th what's the best place to go for
1: people to uh, be part of it I think that just if you go to my website there'll be a place saying virtual book event. you will click on it, it will take you it'll give you all the information but there's there's instructions as to what to write to so that they set aside books for you so um it's all laid out there uh better than I can tell you here a because I don't really know yet, yeah, and b because I don't want to get it wrong or Forget <laughs> send people to the wrong place. So go to my website normanrosenthal.com, Com and you'll be able to get hooked up. Um, when will this will this be aired so that I understand uh, to get it? Well, all we're spread playing
0: away. it now. We're going to be playing it in time for people to book that Beautiful. event in May 6th. That's okay. awesome. So well, I thank you so it. much. We'll That's lovely. We'll get it. On air, absolutely, because you know you're doing such beautiful work, Dr. Rosenthal. You are coming from your heart and contributing to people's lives. It's just so wonderful that we can have this time together so you can inspire everyone who's listening and also spread this beautiful work that you're doing out into the world. So, I, you know, I just really honor. The passion and purpose that you have, and the beautiful soul that you are. And in a minute or so that we have left, is there any final poem you'd like to read? Well, firstly, I'd <laughs> just like to, to thank you,
1: thank you for the privilege of being uh, on your show and being in your wonderful company for this hour and that of your guests. I would like to end with Emily Dickinson's Hope is the Thing with Feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea. Yet never in extremity, it asked a crumb of me.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful... Work you're doing out in the world. And uh, I would say your patients are very blessed to have you as a therapist. Oh, I feel blessed to have
1: them. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so
0: much. (laughs) You're so welcome. And uh, everyone listening, thanks for joining me with my conversation today with Dr. Norman Rosenthal. I hope you'll be joining me every week on The Love Code. And until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.